Hi, I'm Pastor Kaylee. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Wood Street Chapel in Fortuna, California. You can find out more information about our church at www.woodstreetchapel.org. Glad to be with you. Matthew, you might want to get a clipboard with um, a blank sheet of paper and um, just check off all the things that I'm going to cover in Nehemiah so you don't have to. I was going to go a completely different way this morning, and I decided, well, no, I, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dust off something. You know how they redo songs and they call them remasters? So this is a remaster of a couple um, things that I shared from Nehemiah years and years ago here, and we were uh, in a series called Standing in the Gap. So I'll, I'll polish off some of the uh, dust and shed some new light on it, given what Matthew shared last week. So that's my goal. For those of you that don't know, some of you might not actually know this. Matthew is my son-in-law. Is there anybody that doesn't know that? Okay. And also, some of you might not know that we were pastors here for 16 years, and currently we are the area supervisors for Foursquare here in our Redwood area, which is Humboldt and Del Norte County. And Foursquare just celebrated. I should stay in this spot, shouldn't I, Matthew? Because I wander. Foursquare just, Joe's back there going, oh my goodness, this guy is moving everywhere. Um, Foursquare just celebrated their centennial. And I realized as I was uh, thinking about that, um, I've been Foursquare for more than half of the hundred years that Foursquare has been in existence. I've been Foursquare for 53 years. So um, if you do the, well, actually, let me think about this. Wait, oh, I made myself younger than I actually am. Um, I've been Foursquare for um, 57 years, 57 years. So I first accepted Jesus in a Foursquare church at eight years old. You can do the math, figure out how old I am. And um, that was the Crescent City Foursquare Church. And um, rem- I, I still remember that moment. It was, it was amazing. In the little juniors department as a third grader. So, yeah. So I, I've been Foursquare like a long time. And I love the Foursquare Church. I love what we stand for. And that we, we really do function as a family. We really do. That's that's how we operate. So, anyway, just a little backstory there. So, what I what I want to do this morning is I want to look at at Nehemiah's his motivation for his prayer, the prayer that Matthew talked about last week as the introduction to the series that he's launching into, and and then I want to look at the content of his prayer, and I I do believe that there's application in that for us. And, and how Nehemiah um, conducted himself through the recording that we have in the book of Nehemiah. Does anybody here like history? Okay, three people like history. All right. Well, for you three, um, I, I do set, have some historical things that I, that I want to share. And so the rest of you, maybe you'll get excited about it as we move along. I want to read the, uh, the prayer first, but before we do, I want to pray. Father God, we thank you for your word to us. Lord, we thank you that as we gather and as we 
are with each other, Lord. We're not just with each other physically, but Lord, we come together as a spiritual body. We come together because of you, you, Lord, your spirit. You've called us to be a part of one another. You have called us to be your body with each other. And so, Lord, I pray that you would speak to each one of us and that we would hear something today, Lord, that would be a benefit to our walk with you. Thank you, Jesus. We ask it in your name. Amen. So, Nehemiah, first chapter, Matthew read this opening part. This is really, like I said, this is where we're going we're gonna to settle today. And we're going to read it more than once because I, we're going to have to to get out of it what I am hoping that we can get. But starting with verse 1 of Nehemiah, chapter 1, it says, The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hannah and I, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that survived the exile, and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile are back in the province and in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Then I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and obey his commands. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's house, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly toward you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. They are your servants and your people whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. O oh Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this, your servant, and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. I was cupbearer to the king. There's so many things there that, that I mean, if we just read it, you go, oh, okay, that, that's great, but... Um, but as we start to uh, shine a light on, oh, and by the way, speaking of shining a light, I have a light because I think it's good to have props. This will apply. I think I've probably used one of these up here before. I won't turn it on. Well, I might. But if I do, you might be blinded, so I have to be careful. Okay, realistically, how many of you think that just looks really stupid? Okay, raise your hand. Okay, I want to know. You, you think it looks really stupid. All right, that's my point. It does look really stupid. But I was an early adopter of headlamps. And so I was willing to look foolish because I realized there was something to them that was an advantage. I have a headlamp on my head. If I was to turn it on, I can see everything I need to see, but look what else is happening. 
I still have happy hands. My hands are still free. And this is an illustration to what we're doing today. We're shedding a little bit of light on God's word, but we're focusing down on it. And as we take that word and put it into our lives, guess what it does? It gives us the hands and the feet that we can go out and utilize for Jesus. If our hands are occupied by stuff, they're not always free to do what Jesus calls us to do. But if we will let his word shine a light into us, as we look into his word, then his word will go out from us to others. We will be his hands and feet to the world. Okay, object lesson over. There you go. Nothing wrong with being an early adopter. Do you know that people are going to... Well, let me say this differently. People are looking at us as followers of Jesus in the culture we live in as more and more foolish than ever before. I believe that's going to flip. I believe because we're early adopters and we're the ones that aren't afraid to look foolish, that people are going when things get harder and harder, like they were in Nehemiah's day, when things get really tough. People are going to be drawn to us instead of rejecting us. I do believe that. Now, does that mean there won't be persecution? Oh, absolutely there will be persecution. But for the ones whom Jesus is calling, they will come. Do you want to be involved in, in being the hands and feet of Jesus for the people that God is calling into his kingdom? I do. And that's what Nehemiah is doing too. Nehemiah is, his motivation is for God to do the work that God wants to do. And Nehemiah is becoming the hands and feet of God into a very difficult circumstance. Okay? So, I want to focus on this last line. I was cupbearer to the king. We talked about that last week, Matthew shared. But how many know how significant that line is? Raise your hand if you know why that line really matters. And I'm not going to call anybody out, but how many know what it means to be cupbearer to the king? Okay, good. I can educate most of us this morning. The cupbearer to the king was the one that was responsible. There was the cupbearer, but there was also the, 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 the chef, okay? The chef was responsible, whatever he was called. I don't know what he was called. or Yeah, he probably. I don't know what he was called. I don't know what his actual title was. But he was responsible for making sure that the king's food was safe. The cupbearer was responsible for making sure that the king's drink was safe. So the cupbearer was a very trusted individual. He was right hand to the king all the time to make sure that the king wasn't about to be poisoned. And how did the cupbearer know that the king's drink was safe? He had to drink it himself. He had to test it. Is that new news to anybody? I hope that's fun. I hope that's new news. So that's important because what that shows is how close Nehemiah was to the king. However, I love what Nehemiah says in the last line of his prayer before he says, I was cupbearer to the king, when he's actually praying. He says, give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. Now, I think that's significant, too, 
Because even though Nehemiah was cupbearer to Artaxerxes, we're going to talk more about that, even though he was cupbearer to Artaxerxes, he refers to him before God as this man. Not elevated, not the king, another man. I think that's significant. Matthew, do I need to change your mics? I'm fading in and out here. That speaks to me. It speaks to, again, Nehemiah's motivation. And we're going to talk more about that. But let me give some historical context. So Nehemiah was in, ba was in um, Babylon, but now Persia as a contemporary, roughly a contemporary of Daniel and Esther. And Daniel, of course, had his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Those three we know as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But for some reason, we always refer to Daniel as Daniel. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were the, uh, were the names, that, those were the Babylonian names that were given to the, the three companions of Daniel. Daniel's Babylonian name was Belteshazzar, but we know him as Daniel. So I like to refer to the four of them as Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. I think that just is better. So anyway, that's who they were. And they were roughly there at the same time in history as um, Nehemiah was roughly there at the same time as, as Daniel and Esther. So if you read the book of Esther, you will find that this is about the same time period. Now, this section concludes, as I said, with the cupbearer to king of Persia. And Persia, the Medes and Persians came in in Daniel chapter 5 with the handwriting on the wall. That, that sound familiar to anyone? And then Babylon was overtaken by the Medes and then the Persians. And in, for Judah, these were the worst of times. And the Assyrians had, um, the Israel had carried off, uh, the Assyrians had carried off Israel about 300 years before the time that Nehemiah is recorded. So, a little more history. So, 10 tribes broke away from two tribes in the history of the nation of Israel. Those 10 tribes were ruled by Jeroboam, and the two tribes, Judah and Benjamin, were ruled by Rehoboam. And then because of Israel, and then the ten tribes became known as Israel, and the two tribes became known as Judah. Okay? Are you still hanging with me here? All right, this is, this is, all, this is all important to our, to our topic. And when Israel was carried off by the Assyrians in about 720, 730 B.C. They were never heard from again. So the ten tribes that didn't include Judah and Benjamin, once they were taken away by the Assyrians, we don't really hear about them in history anymore. They're gone. So the people that we refer to as the Jewish people today they get their name Jews because they are from Judah. So Judah and Jew is essentially synonymous. Now, the small tribe of Benjamin was always kind of attached to Judah. 
So when you had the two tribes remaining that were around Jerusalem in Judah, and in, in uh, New Testament times, Judea, does that sound familiar? Judea, right? That they also had Levites with them. So you can think of the people that Nehemiah is with are the people of Judah, Benjamin, and the Levites that were with them that were carried away to Babylon. The others had been carried away by the Assyrians. And the, the time differential between when the Israelites were carried, well, the ones we refer to as Israel, the ten tribes, the time difference between when they were carried off and, and when Judah was carried off was approximately 130 years. Okay? Think of the nation that you live in. How old are we? We're about 250 years, right? So think of this. For more than half of the history of our nation, Israel had been, the 10 tribes had been completely missing from the picture. Gone. Just gone. So then what happens is as you continue to read in the Bible, Israel, the nation, started as the nation of the 12 tribes. The 10 are carried away. Judah is carried away. Judah comes back. This is the beginning of the arrival back in, in uh, around Judah and Jerusalem. So when we're talking about Nehemiah and Ezra, so they come back, okay? So it, it, if you just think about that in terms of a scope of time, it's a, it's a, it's a long period of time that's taking place here. It, I mean, think about our history. Go back 130 years. Uh, when, when was that? Eight? Uh, I can't even do the math. Uh, we're, at, we're at 223. What is it? 1890? I'm taking your word for it. 1890? Golly, I remember 1890 like it was yesterday, right? Some more context. In the chronology of the Old Testament, where should Nehemiah be placed? Think about that. Nehemiah is coming back to build the wall, right? Nehemiah would be placed, if it was chronologically in order in your Old Testament, right at the end of the Old Testament. Nehemiah is right there before what we call the silent period or the quiet period between the old, the 400 some years be, between the Old Testament and the New Testament, between the end of the Old Testament and the coming of Jesus, which signaled the New Testament. Does that help anyone? Are you getting kind of a, a sense about where we land here? Okay. Continue on with a little bit of history. So Daniel was under the authority of Nebuchadnezzar at Babylon, and then Darius uh, of the Medes, and then Cyrus of Persia. Esther served as queen to Xerxes of Persia, and Ezra was submitted to Xerxes and then Artaxerxes of Persia. The reason I mention Ezra is because Ezra wrote Nehemiah. The book Ezra and Nehemiah were originally connected as Ezra and Nehemiah. They were just all one, and then they were they were separated into two two writings. But it's believed that at least Ezra was the main character, whether he actually wrote the, wrote Ezra and Nehemiah. But 
but it was it was Ezra's doing, and he's given credit for Ezra and Nehemiah. The people of Judah returned many years before the account in Nehemiah under the leadership of Ezra and Zerubbabel. Matthew mentioned that last week, and they were released from captivity by Cyrus. As and so they came back. Some of the uh, some of Judah, Benjamin, and the Levites that were Levites that were with them. Okay, so we're gonna leave history behind. And now let's look at some observations about this prayer. First of all, I want to go back and look at the prayer and let's look at Nehemiah's motivation. To get that, we have to go back to verse three. If, if you have the app or if you have um, a Bible, we're in Nehemiah again, chapter one, verses one through 11. And now I'm referring to verse three. They said to me, those who survived the exile are back in the province and, and those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. This one hits me pretty hard. When I hear the things that are happening in our nation... When I hear the things that are happening in the world, have I ever sat down and wept? I don't know that I have, honestly. I mean, do I get mad? Yeah. Do I talk about it? Yeah. Do I humbly just break I need to if these things matter to God they need to matter to me and that's what I see in Nehemiah they matter to God so they matter to Nehemiah and so Nehemiah sits down and he weeps not just for an hour not just for a moment for days for some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. And then he tells us about his God. O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and obey his commands. In John chapter 14, verse 15, Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey my commands. If you love me, you will keep my commands. The same words that Jesus spoke, God speaks to the people of Israel that if you love me, you will obey my commands. That's a gut check for me too. Lord, is my motivation out of love because... I want to please you, or often is my motivation out of what I might get, what you might have for me. I'm not trying to guilt trip anyone. I'm, I'm pointing fingers at myself here. So as I look at Nehemiah, I look at his motivation. His motivation is he cares about God's people. He cares about his God. 
Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night. And then he does something that is really pretty profound. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's house, have committed against you. What sins did they commit? Well, just some references here. If you look at Leviticus 25, 1 through 7, and 26, 27 through 35, and then there's um, another one, Second Chronicles 34, 14 through 21. And there are lots of other places where you can find these, but those are, those are just some that I had written down. What did they do? The, the nations, Judah and Israel, they were exiled for basically three reasons. They disobeyed God's word regarding covenant keeping. And one of the covenants that they were that they were specifically told to do was to give the land a Sabbath rest every seven years, and they refused to do that. They did not do that. That was one of the just one of the aspects. But they just basically didn't keep the covenant with their covenant as God's people, and they seemed like they always went into idolatry, again and again and again, and. I know we can think that we don't have idols in our lives, but I think if, we, if we're honest, we, we, we probably have lots of them. It just isn't as glaring, maybe, as what they had. So as we think of, of Nehemiah's motivation, Nehemiah is often used as an example of a great leader. People like to use Nehemiah to study leadership. But what I see in Nehemiah is the thing that made him great was his humility. The thing that made Nehemiah great was his ownership, his identity with the people that he was with. Lord, I'm no better than those that I'm with. Lord, I'm as guilty of the sin that they committed as them. I'm one of them. They are my people, and I am as guilty as them. I think that there's a tendency in our culture today to point the fingers at everybody else and think that we're not like them. But we are just like the people around us. We've been redeemed. And they need to know. Because they need redemption too, right? That's the only difference between them and us. It's not that we're better somehow. It's that we've been redeemed. And Nehemiah realizes this. And so Nehemiah's attitude is the same kind of an attitude that we need. Lord, humbly I come before you because I realize I'm no better than those around me. I'm one of them. And Lord, you saved me. Will you save them? How can you use me to help them come to you? And Nehemiah, what does Nehemiah do? Does he get angry? I tend to get angry and, and, and complainy. Nehemiah doesn't do that. What does Nehemiah do? He goes to prayer. Nehemiah's prayerfulness is the kind of prayerfulness that we need. I know we get overwhelmed with the stuff that we see in the media. We get overwhelmed with the stuff that we see on the news. We get overwhelmed with the stuff on all over social media. But instead of that, and, and honestly, I, I say this all the time. I don't even know how to think about the culture we live in anymore. 
But none of this is catching God by surprise. And Nehemiah's circumstance was tough. But it, it didn't catch God by surprise either. God knew. And Nehemiah's confession is the confession that we need. And what he confesses his, I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's house, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly toward you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. There was um, one of the uh, one of the references that Second um, Chronicles. I'm going to see if I can turn there real quickly. Second Chronicles. Chapter 7, we use these verses a lot. These are going to sound familiar. I'm going to pick it up at verse 11, chapter 7 of Second Chronicles. By the way, if you don't know this, First Kings and Second Kings, First Chronicles and Second Chronicles, basically tell the same story about the history of Israel in a very different way. So those, those books are very related. So First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles tell the story of the nation of, of, of Israel, their, their history in, in different ways, but they tell basically the same story. Personally, I like reading it from First and Second Kings. It's more, more interesting. It's more of a narrative format. But, but each of those books includes things that the others might not fully include. So they're worth reading. But in chapter 7 of Second Chronicles, it says, When Solomon had finished the temple of the Lord in the royal palace and had succeeded in carrying out all he, had in, all he had in mind to do in the temple of the Lord and in his own palace. The Lord appeared to him at night and said, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a temple for sacrifices. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain or command locusts to devour the land or send a plague among my people. And here's the part that we quote a lot. If my people who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven and will I forgive their sin and will heal their land. And I want to keep going. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayers offered in this place. He's talking about the temple. I have chosen and consecrated this temple so that my name may be there forever. My eyes and my heart will always be there. As for you, if you walk before me as David your father did and do all I command and observe my decrees and laws, I will establish your royal throne as I covenanted with David your father when I said, you shall never fail to have a man to rule over Israel. But if you turn away and forsake the decrees and commands I have given you, and go off to serve other gods and worship them. Then I will uproot Israel from my land, which I have given them, and will reject this temple I have consecrated before my, for my name. Pardon me. I will make it a byword and an object of ridicule among all peoples. And though this temple is now so imposing, all who pass by will be appalled and say, why has the Lord done such a thing to this land and to this temple? People will answer, because they have forsaken the Lord, the God of their fathers, who brought them 
um, who brought them out of Egypt and have embraced other gods, worshiping and serving them. That is why he brought all this disaster on them. Those were words of warning to Solomon. Solomon, the wisest man, went off in the most foolish path you could ever imagine. Solomon started well and end very, ended very badly, very badly. Those words were a warning to Solomon as Solomon built the temple and the palace and Israel was entering its glory days. The, the glory days didn't last very long because they, they didn't heed the warning that God had given them. So now I want to talk about the, the content or the, the four qualities of Nehemiah's prayer. First thing I see is, I, is I, and I'm not going to reread the prayer, but the first thing I see as I look at this prayer is Nehemiah's commitment. There is an intensity that shows the depth of Nehemiah's engagement with God. My question to all of us is, are we willing to engage with God on a level that even remotely resembles Nehemiah's level of commitment for his circumstance in his day because he knew that it was essential to do what God was calling him to do in order for God's will to be performed for the people of God. I believe that Nehemiah's, that the, that the call of Nehemiah and his commitment is a call to every believer of Jesus in our day to be committed to what God is calling us for our time. And it's not going to be easy, folks. It's going to get harder and harder. And we need each other. But Nehemiah was committed. And Nehemiah's prayer has context. He prays for his present need within the context of God's long history with his people. I will confess to you that too often my prayers are about my needs and not about what God needs for me to do for him in the earth today within the context into which I've been called. When I say things like, I don't even recognize this world anymore. I don't even know what's going on around me. I am removing myself from the context mentally and emotionally and probably spiritually to what God wants to do within the context that he's placed me in placed you in, placed all of us in to do what he's called us to do within the time and space that he's called us to do it. If you're 65 or 85 or 15, God has placed you in a time and a season. He's given us all context within which to operate. Don't disqualify yourself because you think God can't use you. God will use you as you make yourself available to him. I speak these words always loudest to myself. I want you to know that. Because we all need reminders. I need a reminder that God has called us into a time and place for such a time as this, right? He's called us into a time and place to be useful to him. Don't ever think that you're not useful to the purposes of God. Do you think Nehemiah had ever imagined, oh, I know what I'm going to do someday. I'm going to go build a wall all around the city of Jerusalem. No. I was cupbearer to the king. Well, God, I could never do that. 
I'm just Yeah, but if I call you, I'm going to equip you to do what I've called you to do. Amen? I think that Nehemiah was probably pretty nervous about going back and having to build a wall. But he knew that God was going to do it through him. I'm not going to tell you how long it took to build the wall. I'm saving that for Matthew because that's really, really cool. The next point is that Nehemiah's prayer is not selfish or self-centered. His burden is for God's people and God's will. Lord, what are you doing in the earth today? What would you like me to do to participate? I need to pray that kind of a prayer more often. And Nehemiah's prayer is entirely within the covenant of God and entirely within the covenant of God and his people. You know, God first called, he first set in motion so that we could see what he was all about when he called Abraham. He called Abram and, and, and changed his name to Abraham, the father of many nations. That was the call in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. And then I already read the Second Chronicles part uh, where he spoke to Solomon and reestablished his covenant with Solomon as he had established his covenant with David and made the promise of what he would do through Solomon if Solomon would follow him and warned him about what would happen if he didn't follow him. Now, I'm thankful that we're in the age of grace, as I know we all are. We have God's grace. We're not under law. But God still calls us to come within his will, within the context of what he's doing within the earth today. Do I wish for former days? Yeah. Do I wish for days when I could make sense out of the world around me? Yes. I'm like getting to be one of those old guys that looks back a lot and say, looking for the good old days. But God still has something to do with us and through us in the day that we live in, in our time. And then John 14, 15, I shared with you. If you love me, you will obey my commands. And just sort of a summary here that I mentioned some of this before. Nehemiah is often used as a study in leadership. But more importantly, it's a study in humility that leads one to godly leadership in the midst of really tough circumstances. You want to pray for your leaders? Pray for their, their humility. And as you pray for the humility of others, don't be surprised if God does some things to humble you. We all need leadership in our lives, whether for ourselves, our family, a group, a circumstance, whatever we're in.
Yeah, we need leadership, but can I encourage you to lead by God's word and the Holy Spirit? Get to know his word, read his word. His word will guide and speak. You'll know, you, you'll, you'll more, more fully understand the covenant to which we've all been called. We're under the new covenant. Praise Jesus for that. But the covenant comes with responsibility. And I just, again, not, I don't want to guilt, I'm not here to guilt trip anybody. I'm just here to say, can we embrace the context that we live in just as Nehemiah embraced the context that he was in? Can we admit that we aren't equipped to deal with the things around us, but instead of just kind of like throwing up my hands and going, Lord, I don't get it anymore. I want his Holy Spirit to help me know how to do what needs to be done. Whatever that looks like. I think that's how Nehemiah operated. Lord, I have this burden. You've given me this burden for my people. I'm one of them. They're part of me. You've given me this burden. Now, Lord, equip me to do whatever you've called me to do. And by the way, Lord, I'm terrified to go in and talk to the king. But he's just a man. He's just a man. Chapter 2 is really interesting. I just want to hint at chapter 2 because I think Matthew's going to go there. Chapter 2, the king notices, because the king knows Nehemiah. The king notices that something's wrong with Nehemiah. Nehemiah can't hide the burden that he has for God's people. I want to be that kind of a person. I want to be the kind of a person that can't hide the burden that I have for God's people. And so the king says, what's up? What's going on with you, Nehemiah? You look, you look downcast. And he says, oh, my people, they're in a tough spot. And I'm not encouraging any of us to get involved in a cause. Don't, don't go out and find a cause. Do we have homeless people? Yeah. Do we have social injustice? Yeah. Do we have all kinds of things that we can hop on and have a, as a cause? Of course we do. And the temptation is to jump on a cause. Don't do that. Listen to the Holy Spirit and let him direct you. Because change is going to come with the people around you as you touch the people around you individually. Not because you're packing a sign or involved in a cause. People are looking for real answers and a real relationship with the living God, whether they know it or not. That's the kind of burden that I want to carry. That, that's how I want to let Nehemiah's example speak into my life. Is I want Holy Spirit to bring motivation to me to begin to see through the clutter Nehemiah had a lot of clutter. As you read the story, he had to see through a lot of clutter and stay focused.
we have so much clutter around us today. I want to be able to see through the clutter, recognize the need, the real need that people have, and be able to share with them what God has for them. Amen? Father God, I pray that you would help us all. Just take something away from, from your word today to us, Lord, that, Lord, as we consider Nehemiah, as we consider his motivation, as we consider the context in which he lived, Lord, that you would, you would help us bring that up to date. Motivate us by your Holy Spirit, Lord, to see our circumstance, to see our failings, to see our victories in you, Lord, to see those around us as being just the same as we are, but in need of a Savior. Lord, help us to be used, whether we're whatever age, Lord, whatever gifts or talents we think we have or don't have, Lord, will you use us in our circumstance to shed your light and your life to others, to share those with those around us. Thank you, Jesus. We love you. We ask it in your name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. If you'd like more information about Wood Street Chapel, check out our website, woodstreetchapel.org, or email us, info at woodstreetchapel.org. Connect with us on Facebook to stay in the loop. 